0: Welcome to the Saltwater Stories, sharing inspiring, humbling, and wonder stories from people of all different facets within the saltwater world to connect, inspire, and help collectively work towards the greater good of our ocean planet. On this first episode of the Saltwater Stories, I bring on Nikki Rebos. Nikki is a dear, dear friend of mine. She's the owner of Reunify Yoga Studio in Ocean Beach in San Diego, California. We deep dive in this episode into yoga in surfing, Is there even such a thing? And talking about her five-month journey in Asia, in which she embarked on to expand her knowledge in the ancient practice of yoga and the resulting understanding of the importance of selfless service and reciprocity. We touch on instinct versus intuition in the water, the connection we have to our surfboards, intimacy with fear, and the importance of community. Nikki goes on to discuss her journey of motherhood as a surfer and business owner, and the transition from I to we that motherhood entails. Nikki has an abundant knowledge of yogic philosophy and wisdom matched with her raw honesty and openness to share her struggles as part of the human experience that we all share. It was such a special experience to sit down and talk with her. She has been one of the more influential people in my life over the last few years, not only in being my yoga teacher and training me to become a yoga instructor myself, but through her words and actions within our community and to those she meets along her path. I hope you enjoy this just as much as I enjoyed talking with her. Well, Nikki, hi, welcome. Thanks. So, so honored to have you here, truly. Um, Just, you've been such an inspiration in my life over the last few years. Um, Been such a pivotal part of my growth, actually, in those few years. So, truly an honor Um, and again, welcome to the Saltwater Stories. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So well, I guess we can jump in, but I'll start with just saying Nikki is a yoga instructor and the owner of Reunify in Ocean Beach in San Diego, California. And how I know Nikki is, uh, she was one of my yoga instructors kind of here and there throughout San Diego years ago. Uh, But then I was I really just wanted to be a yoga instructor. I wanted to go through the training. So I had reached out to her and timing, it all just lined up. But she was my instructor for my 200-hour yoga teacher training. So that's kind of the background for us. Um, but kind of going further back for you, uh, especially just being here on the Saltwater Stories, getting into the ocean and in your life and being a water baby. Uh, you you were born in Santa Monica, but you really were more or less Raised in Chicago, um, you know, starting at age two. So you moved from Santa Monica, age two, Chicago, and were raised there. Chicago's landlocked. There's the Great Lake, but no ocean. So, what's the foundational origins of your relation with the ocean, having been raised in a, essentially a landlocked state? Mm.
1: I had very little relationship with the ocean until I was about 18. Wow. And I moved to California when I was 18. And I just remember feeling like, oh, this is what life could be. Because, I mean, I love my upbringing in Chicago for a lot of reasons, which we might get into today. We might not. But uh, I really had not spent a lot of time in nature. And I definitely had not spent a lot of time in the ocean. I had maybe gone to the ocean no, more than once because I did visit my dad in Santa Monica a few times when I was like age three to five, but outside of that once at Sanibel Island in Florida. So when Um, I arrived here and like saw the ocean and what it was for me, I went to UCSD. So it's right there. And I would always walk to the cliffs that overlook blacks, um, even before I embarked on my surfing, uh, journey, my learning how to surf journey, which we all know is a journey in the beginning, especially if you're not a child, um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's when I, I started falling in love with it. And I would walk from Ravel College, which is a part of UCSD, about a half mile to um, these bluffs that overlook Blacks, and just look out at it, look out at it in awe, like what. This is my life now, yeah. And that's what I would think every time I looked at the ocean. Like, this is my life now. And eventually, I was like, "All right, you got to get in it." <laughs> <laughs> Besides, like, drunk skinny dips in the middle of the night with friends. Like, you, like you got to get in that ocean, yeah. And I did. I um, I pretty much taught myself how to surf. Um, Besides some old dudes at Tourmaline, they definitely helped me out. And what was that
0: experience like? You know, it, it's funny when you talk about looking over at blacks and for those listening, if you know, then you know, but if not, there's just this sense of vastness and you kind of feel small, but in a good way, it's like looking at a massive mountain. You just feel so, so small and, and insignificant, um, but it can be luring, maybe not for some others, but what was that experience like in embarking on that, like looking in and being like, I want to throw myself in that, and I'm going to learn how to surf. Like, what even brought this spark for surfing? Mm.
1: (laughs) Okay, there's like a superficial answer to that, and there's a deeper answer to that superficial just like keep it funsies i was 19 and i was like cute boys serve, <laughs> yeah it's true yeah <laughs> beautiful men serve like i want to be a part of that yeah and then i think a deeper part of me like the deeper calling when i look back at it was i was really involved in my own personal issues as many of us are when we're 19 yeah. and was doing a lot of partying a lot of recreational drug use a lot of um escapism, unhealthy forms of escapism. And I think probably that feeling of like looking out and feeling small um, was humbling in a way that I was looking for, that I was seeking through all these other avenues, all these other venues that alter consciousness. And I think some part of me knew that, Um, knew that the ocean could alter consciousness and lead to that humbling in healthier ways than what I was already doing. <laughs>
0: mm. And that's, um, there's a, and this just like reminds me because there's a question I've like, been dying to ask you, and I feel like that segues really, really well. But do you find that there's yoga
1: and surfing? Mm. 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, some, the ocean's one of my greatest teachers. And I actually just, Said this, I taught at a surf rider event, the Mm -hmm. Paddle Out for Clean Water, and that was my intention for the practice. I said, you know, in the tradition of of yoga and the real tradition, and like back in India, there's this uh, relationship between guru and student that Mm -hmm. we've lost here in the West. There are not many gurus, and um, the ones who did arise many of them became intoxicated with power unfortunately and so for me the ocean is one of my greatest gurus and i've learned so much about being humbled patience even things i've taught about um in regards to the water molecule and this Mm -hmm. back and forth between individuality and union the ocean really does teach us all of it if we're tuned into it
0: yeah, and I remember you had mentioned in, in that list that you sent me that it's like it, you learn through parables, through experience instead of just words. Like, it's one thing to be, you know, preached at in hearing words, and you're like, oh, okay, I, I mean, I hear it, but to be kind of experientially learning, and I think it's without choice. I think that's what's neat is that when you paddle out you know, you have all these expectations of what you expect or want out of that session, or even if it's not surfing, just however you're playing in the water. Um, But the ocean just has some way of just like giving you whatever is going to happen in that moment. And you kind of have to let that expectation just shed. Like you said, like patience, um, impermanence becomes a big one. Fear becomes another one. It's just like there's so many uh, layers to the depths of learning. So I, I feel that deeply. Um, and I love that you even said that your experience with the ocean has also felt like more of a baptism when you enter it. Um, and I've used that word too. Can you kind of elaborate a little more on that feeling?
1: Yeah. When I'm in a dark place yeah. and, or feeling heavy or negative or even in just like conflict with my partner or someone in my life, I could set it all down and I'm so grateful for the place that I live, bike down to the ocean and just pop in even if it's not for a surf and I really just have like 30 seconds to just like bathe my body in it it can really clear things out and lighten things up in a way that's just incomprehensible um to to pre-ocean me
0: (laughs) yeah isn't it funny to think of like I I always think this I'm like how did I even like handle (laughs) things in the past when I didn't have this outlet yeah um so I feel extremely grateful to even have it, first of all. But, yeah, there's something – I think there's just this like, – it encompasses you, and it's like a purification with the water, um, and it's it, compl- it, like, holds you, right? Like, when you're floating in the water, when one thing I really love about it, not only just that purification feeling when you let it wash over your head specifically, but this feeling of being held, it lets you – it just feels like this comforting, like, you can just be in it, and it encompasses your whole body. It's visceral, you feel it, as well as you, like – feel it from a a more deeper sense as well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I... Lately, I have made a practice of um, thanking the ocean. Mm. I really... When I take that dive and it clears everything out for me, or now that I'm just recently back to surfing after giving birth, like, when I catch a wave, I will be paddling back out and just be like, thank you, thank you. Like, a really heartfelt... Like, this being is -hmm. receiving it. Thank you. Mm, Because... There needs to be some reciprocity there and that's something that arose for me after years of surfing and trying to just like take as many waves as I could get I'm like wait like what am I giving back to the ocean like there's this yeah you know there's this energy of recipro- reciprocity and everything else that I do like why wouldn't I bring it to this as well
0: yeah and I think that there's a level of as surfers that feeling of reciprocity of like how when we're in water and it's dirty let's just say it's dirty it's muddy we can see actual trash there's something about it that really just does not sit well because it's like we want to I, I at least want to give back to the ocean like tend to it care for it because it's giving and tending and caring for us and in, in its own way even if it's a it's a harder love sometimes um so that's where I think it's really neat to have that like ability to have activism involved as well even just a simple thank you and gratitude because I think that gratitude can cascade into that Activism or working more deeply and actively in protecting the ocean, which is so important right now, especially with everything going on climate wise. So,
1: yeah, um, it was a big wake up call for me when I went to Indonesia a few years ago because our, you know, like everything, all like the problems are very cosmetically well hidden here in the United States because mm-hmm. we have uh, the funding to have our beaches swept up and clean. Cleaned every morning. And so when I went to Indonesia, thinking I was, like, going to this, like, surfing paradise. And almost everywhere I surfed, except for the mental-wise, which is, you know, very remote. Um, like, th- the islands were covered in trash. Like, yeah. s- a sickening amount of trash. Not just, like, oh, a little toothbrush there. Like, wh- what? Like, there's literally, like, I could spend my entire vacation picking up all of this trash. Or, like, surfing wow. in Canggu. Just, like, one paddle, plastic bag on my hand, other paddle, piece of foam in my hand. Like that blew my mind. I was like, we're sheltered here in the States.
0: Oh, it's, yeah. (laughs) I I ended up going to Thailand and Vietnam at the start of 2020 before (laughs) the whole COVID thing. Um, And I remember just feeling like I had 21 days on that trip and I just was like deeply sad there was just like this level of sadness and I actually didn't surf. There was nothing about that trip that I was surfing. I was actually a fairly new surfer at that time, but, um, everywhere was going on like most of the waterways. Right. And actually that's what feeds into the ocean. Right. And it's the filtration system, but they're the ones that get the most trashed actually in these parts. Um, but just piles. And it was almost just like half water, half trash if not more. And it was just sad. It was just so sad for me to see that as well. And kind of feeling like, wow, I've been sheltered. Like how, how are we kind of continuing to exist this way and using so much plastic? And um, sometimes it feels a little bit helpless, right? Because you're just like, how much of an effect can I really make? And I I have to remind myself in the microcosmic effects can help change into macrocosmic, but there is a level of kind of yeah, just feeling like we're not taking enough ownership over it.
1: Yeah. There was like a lot of intricate layers of that during like my big travel throughout Asia because I felt like I just felt like it was a lot of it was rooted in consumerism. Yeah. And um I thought, okay, here in Indonesia like When was plastic introduced to them? Who introduced plastic to them? Was it us? And we also introduced tourism to them. And so now all of a sudden we brought all of these extra people there, which means more plastic, but they also don't have the infrastructure to get rid of the plastic. So then, like, did we do this to this country? And I'm, like, just sitting here going to every beautiful temple I possibly can to and serving the best waves, and then piecing out. It was a lot. You know, rather than this, like, paradise vacation. It was a lot. It was a lot of processing. I'm sure you've felt the same way.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a... Processing is definitely a way to look at it. And it just leaves a little bit of this kind of unease, um, but also a charge in that same way. Because I think it how we move in, our, in the world and how we move through life is very important. And I think you've done such a good job of being able to give back in so many ways, especially with Reunify, but just as an individual. So I think we can't necessarily change the world as a singular person. And I I have to remind myself, but I think my deep sadness on my trip was feeling like I was like, my God, I like need to do more. But I think just, just doing, even if it, it doesn't feel like it's much is key and still kind of making sure we're checking in with ourselves and like, how are we moving about our day and working even into it from a daily standpoint, right? Like I, I see trash even here in San Diego, I pick it up, I'm putting it in my wetsuit. I'm, Just giving back in all the small ways that you can and and actively, like, you know, consuming less or voting and doing the things that we can actually do, I think, is a huge aspect to it as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think even having the conversations about it and like allowing yourself to feel that heartbreak and sadness, like Baba Ram Das says there are two aspects to the spiritual path And there's a lot of focus on the second aspect, the second aspect being like, well, it's all meant to be like trust in God, trust in the divine, like the trash is a part of the process. And the other part, the other aspect of the yogic path or the spiritual path is to feel the heartbreak deeply, to look at the trash and feel it like that hurts like oh my god this is what we've done as humans like this is painful and then to understand that it also is part of the bigger picture and that's going to guide us towards healing guide us towards activism guide us in this or that way but i think mm, there needs to be that feeling of heartbreak there needs to be that feeling of like being torn wide open so that you can experience compassion and be driven towards activism And so I think it's beautiful to even dive into those conversations and really feel them without being like a negative Nancy of like, all right, this is the world has gone to shit. Like, no, let's let's feel it. Let's feel the shitty things about the world and then move forward from that place of truly having felt it, not bypassed it.
0: Absolutely. I think there's sometimes it's easier, obviously, to escape or to feel detached. Um, But the key is to not not detach. Feel it. And I think that's with a lot of different emotions. Um, But when we're talking about this specifically, yeah, I think feeling the sadness, it allows us to feel, it becomes a more honest approach, I think, instead of just being like, ah, you know, it's bad. It's, we're actually feeling those emotions. We're feeling them deeply and it allows us to come from a more, I think, raw place when we actually do find ourselves with more activism and trying to help heal, like you said. So... Now, I'm curious, um, because you had you said you had gone to Asia for about five-plus months, correct? Surpless. Um, But you had said that travel defined me, helped me create the foundational idea of my business and return to my life, and surfing with that most of gratitude as the end of the trip in my favorite place in the world, which was Sri Lanka. Um, can you first touch on what actually brought you to Asia uh, for that long? Uh,
1: so I had been teaching yoga for seven years at that point, and... I wanted to go learn in India. I, I wanted to, I had learned in a small studio here in San Diego, and I, w- I wanted to go learn in the, in the motherland of the practice. And so I kind of told myself, I was already married at that point, so I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to go travel for five months alone, bye. <laughs> but I actually told him that before we got married. I said, just so you know, there's a huge part of my life that I haven't done yet, which is traveling alone for an extended period of time. I'm going to have to do that. Are yeah. you comfortable with that before we get married? and so he approved that anyways so it started off in in me going and studying in india uh for five weeks i stayed in ashram and then from there i had very loose plans very loose plans so i studied deeply in the place where i studied which many uh westerners study rishikesh uh alcohol is illegal so that was a big shift for me like You know, I wasn't drinking heavily at that point, but to, like, have it not available at all, like, no social lubricant, no nothing, was very potent. And -hmm. then to be studying 8 to 10 hours of yoga a day, and, like, I really was dedicated to my study. So I was waking up before sunrise and meditating even before study. And so um, to have that be the start of my trip really brought a level of presence Mm -hmm. to the travel throughout Asia And afterwards, I went to lots of different countries. I went to Nepal, I went to Thailand, I went to Vietnam, Myanmar, Sri Lanka. And in the beginning of my trip, I found myself, I did Nepal and then Thailand first, um, consuming. A lot of consuming. And just every spot I could hit, the prettiest places, like how can I meet a local and they tell me to go to this spot. And just like, I was just like taking it all in. And about a month in some point towards the end of my time in Thailand I was like feeling really empty. I was feeling like I have gone to some of the most gorgeous places. I can't unsee the beauty I have seen on this planet and I feel empty. Mm. And it and it hit me it's because I wasn't I wasn't serving. I was mm. only serving myself. I was only serving my own senses. And so my next uh, stop was Myanmar and then I decided to dedicate a huge a big chunk of the time in Myanmar to vol- volunteering and I volunteered in a place called Tabarwa Meditation Center and I've told you about it before it's basically a small town that a monk started and he said Anyone can come live here. We'll provide food, but you have to sit for my Dharma talks and my meditations every day. And it became a little village, and everyone was provided for. Everyone gave to the village what they could. Construction workers built the houses. Um, Yeah, whatever. They could. Teachers taught. But then people who couldn't take care of themselves were taken care of, like the elderly or the sick. There was even a hospital there, and I volunteered in the hospital, which I was not qualified for. But holy shit, I did a lot of things I was not qualified for during that time. Mm And that, I worked about 14 hours a day for a little, not even that long, I want to say a little over a week, I want to say 10 days or something, and I was so alive. So alive. I was doing crazy shit. I was like bathing patients, like (sighs) manually deconstipating people, like doing things that I was not trained to do, but just handling, because it needed to be done, and I was there. And I... Didn't even need to sleep really that much because I was so fueled by the fire of service that I, when I did some journaling, I was like, oh, this needs to be a part of my yoga studio. I don't know how, but like service needs to be a part of my yoga studio. Like I want to give back in some way, whether it's monetarily or um, actual acts of service. And um, in my Myanmar, that's when it hit me. And the rest of my travel, I made sure to weave in service. Um, if it wasn't volunteering for a larger organization like that, it was doing something local with people I had met. And it changed me.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's um, really interesting that you bring up the importance of service on a trip. Um, now, of course, this was an extensive trip of like diving deeper into yoga. You know, it brought about the foundations of your your business, Reunify. But it's interesting, like, bringing in kind of surfing the concept of surf travel, um, that idea of consumerism or even reciprocity. but. You know, I think there's sometimes this like uh, romanticized, like, oh, I'm just going to, and I fall, I definitely fall into this, but this romanticized kind of, I'm going to travel and I'm just going to surf all the time and I just want to take off. and, But then there's this level of realization that like, what is that going to leave me with? I'm going to feel quite empty. And I think it's really beautiful that you said that because I think there's so much, especially with surf travel, that can basically just becomes consumerism and it very much is. Um, and not only just from the ocean standpoint, from the places that are traveled, it's just like you're kind of coming in. Um, I mean, there's a level of helping with money, which is important and it is an important aspect. So there is a level of kind of giving back from that standpoint, but... um, there's something that I feel like is missing with that surf travel at least from that standpoint and it's it, what you brought up actually with your traveling to Sri Lanka is that you actually had a moment and a beautiful moment with a girl in the water where you actually helped her um learn to swim or is that correct can you um kind of elaborate a little bit more on that
1: yeah so I actually stayed in what used to be a small village I don't know if it is anymore um outside of welligama which is a little more popular and uh, i met this family i got really close with them and because i got close with that family i met a lot of different locals in the area and one little girl she said like oh you surf which is a big deal women don't many women i've never seen a sri lankan woman out in the water at least on the side of the coast i was on yeah um they don't reveal their bodies like it was shock when i had like walked across the main road to the ocean in my bikini because it's warm water there like People looked at me like I was insane wearing my bikini across the street to go in the water. But anyways, this little girl, she said, I want to be a surfer one day, but I don't even know how to swim. Well, I said, let's learn how to swim. Yeah. And so her and her sister and me all went to the beach, and the sister just sat on the shore. She was like, I'm not down. <laughs> Y'all can go in. I'm not. I'm not I don't want to learn how to swim. And uh, so the, the little girl and I came out and uh, went out in the water, and we just kind of swam back and forth. I would just hold her shoulders. She would practice kicking. Mm-hmm. And then I would like hold her hips, and she would practice with the arms. And, you know, we just got her comfortable in the water. And I think I went out twice with her or something. I definitely can't say it walked away from it with her knowing how to swim. But I think it did develop a little more comfort in the water. And I think she felt held in that. And it was something, you know, she asked of me. And sometimes uh, service doesn't have to be this like you giving to this big corporation or organization. It can be like someone asking something of you and you taking the time aside to give it. And it can be as simple as that
0: yeah exactly. I think we kind of forget it's like almost feeling like it has to be some big thing and it's as simple as just taking the time to introduce the water to someone who's not really been introduced to it. I think and that's who lives
1: right on it
0: yeah you know what's really interesting is I think that happens a lot in different cultures there's um a brilliant book, um, Salt Water in the Blood um, by eski Brighton and she 's from Ireland, but she's actually helped bring surfing to Iran and it's really neat because there's a um surf uh Surf company, uh, clothing company, so they create wetsuits, but finisher, Um, and that's in Europe, but they helped, um, basically, it's more or less a hijab, but it covers up most of the body, and it's so that they can surf in the water with most of their body covered, Um, and so that's a really neat aspect. Because I think in the, there's so many different reasons in different places in the world, but that not everyone that lives right there has access to really util, utilize it from a more playful standpoint. And I think some cultures also find that the water is actually a place of fear. Um, like if people don't know how to swim, that's a place that people and family members have drowned in and died in. Tsunamis. Um, tsunamis, Lanka, I think. yeah, it a
1: big conversation topic. Yeah. Like they had seen their loved ones, their grandparents die in that tsunami of 2012, well,
0: it's 2004 actually when you brought up Sri Lanka I looked it up um and there was a report that had said that the majority of the survivors were men um in Sri Lanka uh, or Indonesia um after the 2004 tsunami I think the number was three to one um which is huge when we think about it and if women aren't really having access to the water to learn how to swim like that's going to be a huge component when something like a natural disaster happens, or even if just like you're doing something near the water, your child falls in, can you actually go save your child? Like that becomes a huge, a huge factor. And, um, being able to kind of make that more accessible to people, even just the act of swimming and feeling confident in the water, I think is a huge topic that, you know, we should be bringing up. um you know, there's, there's such empowerment, I think, and being able to swim and all the things that can kind of reverberate out of that. Um, Not only empowerment, but playfulness. I think it's the ocean's actually been quite a space of play for me. I can so easily get way too serious with my life. And sometimes I'm just like riding into shore on my surfboard, like white water on my belly. And I'm just laughing like a little kid. It's just um, so playful at times. And I think we could use more of that in the world as well. It's just the empowerment and the confidence that can come from it, especially for women. I really feel that that's quite important in various corners of the world that just don't have access to it.
1: Mm, yeah, I agree. One of me and my husband Andy's, like, fun little things is, like, if he catches a wave in before me at the end of our session, I'll do this thing, slightly inappropriate, called donkey style, where, like, I'll catch a wave, then I'll get on, on all fours on my hands and knees and, like, bark until <laughs> I reach the shore oh because it entertains him so great that's fabulous so, yeah, i'm down with the play and you know that yes have we've been out in big bigger waves together yeah. and for me my way of coping with when a large wave is like literally about to break on my head You're i'll just laughing. Like, I'll laugh hysterically yeah. i'll just like scream and laugh hysterically <laughs> it's my way of processing it yeah you know yeah.
0: i think it tricks the system a little bit yeah. um and I, we've we've done this in the rose ceremony during yoga teacher training is the rose ceremony correct I think rose meditation. Oh the rose med- Oh yeah, ceremony, but rose meditation. But where you basically whether it's fake or not, but you cry for the first third, then you laugh for the second third and then you you know lay or sit in stillness for the last section. Uh, but what I learned is how interwoven that crying and that laughing is and it's really interesting um I actually immediately started crying from an authentic place during that but I was laughing from a fake place but um but it is funny is that yeah if you're you could almost be so scared you could cry but if you force yourself to laugh it's still kind of like coming from a similar energy but I think you can trick your system into just being like I'm okay (laughs)
1: okay yeah I mean duality is two sides of the same coin no
0: yeah no absolutely (laughs) Um, now, have you had, I, I ask this of everyone that comes on, but an experience of great fear in the water? I don't know if this was from, I know, right? <laughs> A
1: particular one. Oh, my one. God, so many? <laughs> Do we spend the rest of the podcast talking about We'll this have to or? just think of,
0: like, the, the most, like, it comes to mind first because I know, like, most oh, of my surfing. Oh, my
1: God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I have so many of them. Like, I have yeah. the chills right now thinking, of, like, winter, winter's coming. I know. I'm excited. Uh, I, I'm not in shape. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, one of so many.
0: It's like half my surfing. I think one of my
1: most interesting <laughs> ones was I was surfing out at PB Point, which uh, those of you who are tuning in the podcast, you don't know this, but I think it's about a mile, maybe a mile and a half out from shore. Yeah. And it was about a seven to eight foot day. Dude, I have two of my scariest stories at PB Point. Oh. Um, but I'll go with this one I was telling. And my leash broke. Jeez. My leash broke on a wave. And... I came up and, you know, that light feeling, if you had it happen, then, you know, you came up and I was like, oh my God, no, because there were so many currents in the water. I was all the way out there. My board was gone. Oh, I could just cry. And for some reason, like always, like every surfer, the first thing I thought about was my board hitting the cliffs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't <I> concerned <laughs> about my own death. I was like, my board. But like really, you're afraid of your own body. Sure. It's like it's, what you think of. It's it. your it's, life. Yeah.
0: Like lifeline. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, and this older dude named Randy, never forget him, still see him sometimes oh. over there, uh, came over, gave me his board. Oh, he had wow. to be in his 60s. Gave me his board, said surf one in, and he swam into shore, retrieved my board from the cliffside for me, and, and met me at the at the beach.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He was like, not going to have me deal with that one on my own. And then we chatted for a while on the sand afterwards. He's like, you're the same age as my daughter. I wasn't going to watch you flail out there.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That talk about selfless. That's like oh, a yeah. huge There's an act of service. That's an act of service. right there. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that
1: was one of my scariest, uh, moments. And then it was a big pivot.
0: <laughs> yeah. What was going through your head in that moment? Um, and were you kind of new to surfing at this point? Was this still kind of in the middle?
1: The- middle, 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 middle. I was probably about five or six years into surfing. So okay. should I have been surfing seven to eight foot waves? Probably not. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, questionable out at PB point. Questionable out at PB yeah. point. Tourmaline, seven eight foot waves, beautiful. But I kind of like, once you're at Torma... Uh, for the- <laughs> Uh, They're neighboring breaks. Uh, and you see that PB point wave and it's big out. You're like, I could have this wave or I could have that one that connects all the way to shore. And so I think I ventured out a little outside my comfort zone, as one does, um, yeah. as surfers do. And, yeah, what was I thinking? What was I feeling? <sighs> I was feeling like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. That was <laughs> my first thought. Like, you did it this time, Nikki. <laughs> I was feeling like I'm yeah. going to drown. Mm-hmm. And I think covering up all of those feelings was, my board is going to be ruined. Because I didn't really want to face any of those deeper feelings. I was like, my board! And I think that is always amazing to me that in some of my, um, yeah, the things that our mind distracts us with when there are actually deeper fears under underneath it all. Hmm. But, yeah, my main concern was my board, now that I've really look, look back on it.
0: I know, and that's so funny. I, I feel that. There's, like, moments where I'm like looking at coming into Sunset Cliffs, which those of you who know, you know, but it's not the easiest um, to get in and out of that break. And if you're timing it wrong, and there's like, especially with a high tide, you're essentially looking at potentially getting thrown against rocks. And then you're trying to step up to almost the height of your like, probably four foot mm-hmm. to like, chuck yourself up <laughs> to it. And it's slippery. And I mean, the amount of times I'm looking at that and I'm actually more nervous about fucking up my board. I just
1: burned my board last week. Oh no! In that exact spot.
0: No. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, was this <laughs> the Donald Tuckyama? No, the big blue nose rider, oh. uh, the Gordon Smith. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. it should. There's so much algae there right now. Anyways, (laughs) keep keep going. But that's
0: exactly it. But no, the amount of times I'm more preoccupied with my board than my body, when you think about it,
1: is like, I could get thrown against this. I could break my skull open on this rock, and I'm worried about my board.
0: Well, and that's actually how I, um, yeah, you know, that's exactly, we really don't want that. But I got my feet dragged um, back when that, like, Code Red hit this uh, past summer I realized there was a rock right in front of me like it just kind of essentially I was doing that playful like ride in and I realized that there's a rock and um my instinct it was this was all just so fast like milliseconds and my instinct was like rock oh my god my favorite this is like almost my baby this board and I put my feet down to stop myself and dragged the tops of my feet against barnacles just You're just dumb. shredded them and my board came out and stayed, and I was like, "Oh my God, amazing like,
1: yes, <laughs> yeah. let's
0: go room. <laughs> I went up top, and then there was a you know these older guys up top They had alcohol to like pour on it and, um, <laughs> and they were drinking. <laughs> I know right? No, I know I was like, i got to swing myself no, um, <laughs> but it was it looked like a horror film with my just my feet, <laughs> it's gnarly, but that was the extent I was willing to just like throw my body for to protect my board, which is just comical when you really think about it. But yeah, I don't know. There's also this beautiful, to me, when we think about the board and the amount of work that goes into it, it is this like piece of rideable art and there's a connection to it. I think what's really interesting is that it's that connection. Like when I think of yoga being in surfing, like yoga by definition is to yoke, to unify. And it's like the medium of which we have that unity with the waves. Wow. Yeah. And I, I just, so it's like when you have that connection with the board, like we'll have those moments where like this board doesn't feel right. I don't like it,
1: Whoa.
0: <laughs> but it's that medium, I think. I've and
1: never I, thought of it that way.
0: Ah, That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. I just, it's, I think that there's this level of when we're on the wave, we're having that moment of unity, right? Like, and it's moving and it's wild to me that it is, but yet we're, we're moving with it and it's, it's it's showing its impermanence as time goes on. Like in the present, it's impermanent. Continuing, like and now this and now this and it's a now, new moment and a new moment and but the connection and the I think that um, that medium is the board and so I think we have this like deep connection with it because when you think about it, it's like it's a technically a material item. Oh my like, god,
1: I'm like having a billion epiphanies right now. Really? What, what's coming up? <laughs> um, just how our physical bodies are like these vessels that we have the ability to experience separation and union through. And we have this deep attachment to our physical bodies. The same way we have this deep attachment to our boards. And it's it's an illusory attachment because this isn't who we really are. But because it's the only vessel we know, just like the surfboards, to have that bridge, that experience from separation to union, of course we're attached to it. So that's really fascinating. Thank you for that.
0: No, absolutely. And thank you for that. That's also a lot to think about (laughs) because this is our vessel to connect with other humans, with the world that we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's constantly changing as well. Like, I think you've always brought this up. It's just like how we're born is not how we look right now. And
1: I know that might now more than ever after giving birth.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I want to hear about this experience. So, um, and you don't have to share as much as you want, but, um, you've just, you've just had your first baby and about three months ago, right? Almost exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you've gone through that transition from I to we in a massive way. Um, but I guess we could start with if you'd like, but just the pregnancy stage, especially from a surfing standpoint, I know you had your own trials with that, but how was that experience? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, about three months into being pregnant, I went to a midwife and told her, like, I'm still surfing, blah, 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 what do you think? And she was like, surfing is a, a very dangerous sport, you need to stop immediately, Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I'm never mentioning surfing again at another (laughs) appointment. (laughs) I'm not going to stop, but I'm just never going to mention it. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was my first opportunity to tune into my own intuition Mm. and that I wasn't going to be seeking outside advice in regards to my relationship with pregnancy and surfing. And instead, I was going to have to 100 percent base it on my inner Mm -hmm. dial, which ended up being a lot. Be very challenging uh, because I like surfing bigger waves. Yeah. I'm not talking like 20 foot waves, but I like I'm, my favorite size is probably four to six foot, I and know. and that to really avid surfers is like cute, whatever. But when you're holding another being, a really delicate being that's like a few cells, you know, couple hundred, couple hundred, couple thousand cells. All of a sudden, a four to six foot swell, you're like, okay, I want to drop into this wave for me, but if I eat shit and land on my belly, like. Am I just gonna kill this being? And yeah. so all of a sudden, like that inner dial becomes much more critical, and the decisions you're making from it are like very intense. So um, that was my first little lesson with pregnancy and surfing, like learning to trust my own intuition and not move from a selfish place.
0: Yeah. To move
1: from a selfless place, now including me and this other being in making my decisions um, with surfing. And also I was much more comfortable surfing without a leash than much more com- comfortable surfing around kooks. Like as soon as I got pregnant, I was like l- – I would scan the water um, and make sure I surfed next to people I knew. Yeah. And who knew I was pregnant. And I would literally start small talk and be like, yeah, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Not to brag about it, but just so they didn't surf like an idiot around me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that inner dial was my first bit. And then I started, my body started changing because in the beginning, you just have a little tummy and no one can tell my, yeah. you know, our mutual friend, Brian was basically like, Oh, I thought you just ate a little too much over Thanksgiving. Mm. I was in the water
0: <laughs> when he said that. I was like, Brian,
1: it's such a, it's fine. <laughs> no, like if your friends We say, love you, Brian. You tolerate those comments. <laughs> um, yeah, and then my body actually started changing, and I got a big belly, and then I had to change the way I was paddling because I'm not a knee paddler. It's just I tried. I tried. So I instead was, like, doing anahatasana, like, heart-melting pose, like, all of my weight on my chest, my breasts, which were really tender, but I didn't care anything for surfing, and my booty in the air and just, like, paddling with my chin down, and it was just hilarious. It looked so kooky, but I was I was committed, and, yeah. and people – um. You know, people made jokes out of it, but it, it was, in the beginning, it was, like, whatever I have to do to surf. And by the end, it was really emotional to uh, watch my body change, to be catching less waves, to, like, know my skill level and not be at it anymore. Yeah. It was very emotional and was a form of eco death. I'll never forget one day I was out with uh, my dear friend Inigo, and yeah. uh, I was barely catching any waves, and he's kind of a wave hog. Um, listening this podcast <laughs> but he was catching all the waves and I just got so frustrated and I sat out in the water and I cried and mm. um, just really let myself have that moment of like, oh man, your body's different yeah your body's different and had a lot of thoughts of like your body might never be the same again. And people kept telling me like, oh, you put you'll give birth and it'll be the same but some part of me knew no, like I'll never be the same again and and that was true. That was, that was true. I will never, I will never be the same again. My belly's gone. Well, there's still a little chunk there, but the big pregnant belly's gone. But, um, yeah, my body feels completely different.
0: Yeah. I think that that is, you're like rapidly going through kind of a transition, right? Like when we, you know, how I looked two years ago is slightly different than now, but it's really more or less the same. And we kind of, you know, outside of motherhood, like as we continue to grow, we kind of inc- incur that like, Oh yeah, I am changing. I like with age. I mean, I work as a nurse with a lot of geriatric patients and I'll hear that kind of all the time. My body's just like, it's not acting the same way. Like, I feel like my balance is like, I think I could do it and I can't, or even the mind, like the sharpness of it. So, and there's this like sense of grief and like, you have to be able to grieve that, that change. Um, because in a lot of ways, like once you're 50 years old, you're never going to be 20 again. It's the same concept, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but feeling it so compact is, I can only imagine, just very overwhelming because it's like nine months ago, Nikki was on a six foot wave and had no care in the world, and her body was what it was doing for the most part two years ago. So, um, yeah, that's thanks for sharing that. I know that that can. It's, it's it's still something that it's you know you're processing and working through it's still fresh yeah yeah
1: i mean my body's not my own anymore yeah. and i mean that brings the deeper question is is your body ever your own but like really for me i was a house a home for this being and now i've birthed this being and now i'm it's food source and also like if i injure myself surfing i need to be able to pick my child up i take care yeah. of the baby all day like i can't i'm fearful to be injured in a whole new way mm-hmm. because I'm providing for something outside of myself. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating uh, just to witness that, that change.
0: Yeah. I think that, again, that goes from that sense of I to we, mm-hmm. um, there's, and she surf it's a book. Um, there's a passage from, I can't actually remember, but she generally goes into how that concept of like really kind of shedding that layer of the self and getting into the space of being, we like tending to be to this being and being that sole source for that, that being, um, and how that actually translates into a greater level of like global speaking and how we see the world, um, and how that actually translates into more activism, um, I think that's why in a lot of ways, mothers and women in general, especially have this capacity for nurturing and compassion um, with that ability to have that motherhood is because, you know, you can look in uh, like on the street in traffic and like maybe someone's having road rage, but you can look at them and be like, they were someone's child at one point, a baby. I a always child. do that. Really?
1: I do that for the street people of OB. (laughs) Yeah. I do. I think that was someone's son. Yeah. That was someone's daughter.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a whole journey from then until whoever you're seeing in that moment. But (sighs) yeah, I think that there's like having that ability to look at it that way because then you're looking outside of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we're like that person that's getting angry at you on the road, Mm -hmm. if you react, right, and you're coming from that place of ego, Mm -hmm. then you're not... Is sitting outside of yourself, you're deeply in yourself within that inner space of ego. And but with motherhood having that ability to come so like almost forced, but you're into this we standpoint, you can even think of as we as a global standpoint and being able to start to transition that in how you just like see the world around you and the people around you. And I think that just breeds such levels, high levels of compassion, right? Because it's just like, man, I don't know their story, but they were once someone's child.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that very deeply now. Yeah. (laughs) It's to an emotional point. Yeah. Because you do want to nurture and take care of everyone, and you can't. (laughs) But yeah, thanks for sharing that. I actually think about that when the giant, the dudes on the motorcycles, like, (laughs) your favorite. My favorite is to, like, disturb the peace in OB. <laughs> Although there's no peace in OB. There's, a constant airplanes. <laughs> but the airplanes are different somehow. No, the motorcycles, I, I do always think that. I'm like, wow, he just didn't get enough attention as a child. <laughs> he, like, yeah. really did not get enough attention. Yeah. You yeah. know? But, like, if you react in a way that's, like, angry, yeah. you're, like, could possibly be recreating and reaffirming that negative experience I might have had in childhood, you know, and and yeah. like someone maybe being yelled at or whatever, like energetically, even if they don't hear you. And so you can make pretty big shifts in the world by choosing a different reaction, choosing a different experience. Now do I always do that? Hell no. But uh, yeah, I think there can be big energetic shifts in the mindful pause and choosing a different way.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's like um, for me – a, a layer, and aspect of kind of stepping out of the ego is something I enjoy so immensely about surfing in particular, or even just being in the ocean. Cause I, um, there's a book, the mindfulness and surfing by Sam Bleakley. I might've said that a little wrong, but, um, I think it's just mindfulness and surfing, um, by Sam Bleakley, but he talks about, um, when we step from the space, when we enter the water, um, we kind of step away from the ego self and we actually end up in the ecology or ecology the environmental self mm. so we're we're moving in this space of intuition and just being we're moving kind of from the next step to the next step right we're looking at the swell that's coming towards us we're looking at the tides and the people that are in the water we're like constantly taking in so much data and we're we're constantly in the state of being so immersed in the environment that we can step out of the ego and like shed that layer. And that's something that I've just enjoyed immensely with surfing to have that kind of outlet to be able to do that so easily. Cause sometimes it's just not easy.
1: Would you say then we're shifting to like the more instinctual animalistic or
0: interesting? Yeah. I think that there's like, there's not a lot of space for intuition Uh, at least with how we have set up our our society, Um, you know, you're kind of not letting like change, but sometimes it feels that way with like the jobs and having to pay the bills and do the things and um, the way everything's set up. It's just kind of like, even for me, for example, with nursing, like I don't really choose when I eat. I have very specific times I have to go on break and I'm going to eat because I just need to eat. But Like, when we start to think about, like, intuitive eating, for example, um, that's tapping into a space of, like, eating when our system needs it. Um, But intuitively kind of moving and intuitively using that kind of connection with the mind and the body is not often for me. Um, You know, sometimes it happens when we're, like, on the road and we, we do something, right? We're reacting, and that's intuition. But just go on, like, a one- three, four hour surf session where all you're doing is processing and you're moving and you're seeing the crest of the wave. You're seeing the kind of that sweet spot where it's about to break, where you need to be, what the person's doing. in every split moment you're moving into this intuitive space and it becomes this flow state, right? And you hear that being used in the blue mind. And I think that that is such a unique space to be in. and there, It's in different sports as well. Um, but I think what's so unique about the water is how much it's changing Right, climbing the wall's there, and you're flowing on it, but the rock's not moving. It's not changing right in front of you. That's not. It's the water that's just constantly changing. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love that. And and as yogis, that's technically how we're supposed to walk our paths, right? Like what's happening right here and now, and how do I move from this understanding and this knowing? And Patanjali. who is basically, for our listeners, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first sages to write down yoga, one of the first sage scribes, basically, um, said that if we were going to use memory as yogis we should only use memory uh, as a way to inform our present decisions so not to like be nostalgic not to look back at the past like damn that was the best wave of my life but to look back at those hundred waves and be like oh I learned what a peak is from this wave and I know how to sit exactly in the perfect spot at South Garbage because of my memory but otherwise I'm 100% here and now, and moving through this space. And I think a lot of us probably have too deep of an attachment to um, memory and past and have it define who we really are and the mask we wear right now when so much more could come to us, so many more lessons, so many more downloads could come to us if we were just like, no, but this, Mm. right here and now. What is this? What is this offering?
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, I think our mind can be our biggest obstacle, obviously. (laughs) yoga in a nutshell right that's why (laughs) exactly (laughs) yoga is a cessation of the mind cycles um but it's interesting even when we start to feel like we have dialed in a surf break our home surf break i think what's neat is to kind of sometimes step out of being like well this right here is where it's probably going to break every time because sometimes there's these shifts and um, i think being able to kind of step out of that and witness when we're kind of blocking our own experience and ability to grow um i think i've said this on a a previous episode um, on this podcast but you know you can even have a really bad experience at a surf break and never go again because that memory is almost deterring you even though it could be the best one for me (laughs) dude i get it (laughs) (laughs) oh Honestly, on a side tangent here, what's interesting about Swamis? We're gonna get into it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, for and this is a kind of um, actually perfect because you know, for, as a woman surfing, it was not a great experience. My my last one of my last experiences at Swamis just being chirped up for no reason other than I was being on a longboard. To, that happened to me. I know,
1: but uh, <laughs> by another woman.
0: Oh. That's tough. That's tough to hear. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Keep going. I would like to hear.
0: Well, it's just, it was actually one of the bigger days uh, in January. And I, I was, I think I was just starting to feel pretty confident actually after being at the cliffs, you know, I feel like I was like, okay, I'm like, I know. Which is always the worst thing to do because the ocean's gonna throw you right down, right back down easily. But um, but I was actually having a pretty good session. But it's for me, it's hard to step into a space where I don't know to know anybody at the break. Like, yeah, like the cliffs. I feel like I feel comfort in that. I know people, and some you know people will sometimes be like, "This is your wave. Like you've been waiting, and that just feels try. good. Oh yeah, total mm, yeah
1: Animalistic instinct.
0: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And so, but then Swami's is a phenomenal wave. It really is. There's just like, you cannot argue that. But the crowd is something <laughs> that's, that's a little tough, a tough pill to swallow sometimes. And I get it, right? There's a level of like wanting to protect a space, but yes and no. And that's a whole nother t- topic. But um yeah, I was out and I got myself on the outside peak. Like I was but I was very mindful. We have someone actually um, at the cliffs, Clint, <laughs> who actually does a really good job of not necessarily taking every single wave because he's on a massive board and he could if he wanted. But I think it's really important when you are on a bigger board to have that awareness of the space that you're in and being like, okay, everyone's pretty much on a mid-length or short board. Like, I'm not going to sit and do circles and take every single wave. So I wasn't. I think I, within two hours, caught three waves. Great waves. Now I kind of got faded off a couple of them which it was an interesting concept. And I thought at first I was doing something wrong because I'm still in the depths of like learning a lot. It's just like, I think it will be a forever learning curve with surfing. But, um, so I was kind of like, you know, already like, Oh shit, did I just drop in on someone? And I realized, Oh no, no, they dropped in cause they're on shorter boards and started to fade me off. And so it was just this whole just interesting experience. But then I, um, I paddled for two waves in a row. I missed the first one, but then I paddled for the second because I was just like, oh, fuck this. You know, I was like, I really want one. And um, I didn't get the second. And this older gentleman came up and essentially chirped at me. He's like, you need to stop paddling for every single wave. You are on the longest board out here. You got to watch yourself. Just the whole the whole thing. And the, the joke was, ultimately, I... I was reacting. I was, I was noticing that reaction coming up. Cause I was like, I've literally surfed three waves in two hours and you just happened to watch me try to paddle for two in a row. But uh, the joke was he had actually only been out for 15 minutes and I was like, Oh wow. So you're saying this from even, not even a place of like understanding me or knowing me. And I had this moment of like, oh, it almost like calmed me. I was like, I was just reacting to someone who actually had no idea what the experience was I was having out here. <laughs> but it was a, a big, just kind of an interesting experience overall with being kind of like faded off a lot of the waves I was catching, being chirped out unnecessarily. Um, that it just was, it feels very aggressive. And I've had, a, I've watched guys like yelling, yelling at like, seriously, almost a grandmother. I think it was a grandson at one point. I've seen it at swampies. Well I'm like,
1: oh my God. I was yelled at.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was I that was experience being- like?
1: I was surfing the, I was surfing the shoulder with a long board, but I was just, it was a mid-sized day. I would say four to six foot day. Yeah. But I was just waiting for someone to eat shit. I was like, all right, someone eats shit at the peak, I'll go. It's crowded. I'm just, I don't really want to fight with these shortboarders for the peak, so I'll sit on the shoulder. And when they eat shit, I'll vulture style. And uh, so I did that. Yeah. And I came back out, and this older woman was like. I've been sitting at the peak waiting, and you're just sitting there with your longboard, snagging the shoulder, like screaming at the top of her lungs. Not just like just like really so that the entire lineup could hear. Wow. And I sat there and I received it all. And I was my vibe my body was almost vibrating with yeah. anger. And then I said to her, Does that feel good? Mm. Do you feel better now that you yelled at me? Wow. And she got really quiet and just paddled away. That's actually an amazing response.
0: <laughs> That's the response I probably should have had.
1: I'm not sure if it was mindful or passive aggressive, mm. but it fucking worked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honest, and I love
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did never go back. I never went back to Swamiji. Wow. Never went back Wow. after that. I, I yeah. just, there's so many other good breaks right there. I was it's, just like, it's I fine. <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need
0: it. Yeah, and I think that there's this, like, interesting concept for me with Southern California, especially, um, with the crowds, right? And feeling like I have ownership of even the cliffs, right? Like, we that's our home break. We just talked about Tribe. and But, you know, what's funny is, like, I notice this, like, I don't think it's a good space, truly, but this feeling of, like, you, you could just tell when someone's not from there. They're kind of being a kook, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. But almost not having this receptive kind of energy but more of that closed off like I I, what's interesting to me is that when I was new I would have died to have just someone have that with me you know and to like think back to that and then I all of a sudden I have this level of empathy and and like compassion but it's almost like now that I'm I'm in the crowd or I've made it I'm like oh I want to protect it too I'm an animal yeah no it's it's
1: (laughs) and I was going to ask you this earlier do you think there's a difference between instinct and intuition Mm. Um, because I find that there is this animal instinct of protect the wave, protect the tribe. This is ours. Like, this is our yeah. food source. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, Vivekananda, which is, um, he's a Vedantic scholar, uh, talks about this difference of, um basically beneath consciousness and above consciousness Mm -hmm. and how yoga takes us to this place of super consciousness, but we do have animal instincts that can take us uh, below our consciousness. So a squirrel's not thinking like, I'm a squirrel and I'm having a rough day today. You know, like we, we do have those thoughts. I'm a human and I'm having a rough day today. They don't have uh, that level of suffering, but there's also not this ability to become super conscious. Yeah, and so this difference between instinct and intuition. What are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, no, I love that, and I think there is a huge difference, and I actually think you can see it within a surf session. Yeah, like you can see both. Um, so I think instinct. If you think about that split moment of committing when you dropping in, right? Like that's that's instinct, mm-hmm. right? What starts to happen, um, and I think I always call it data building. Like when I've been learning, it's like I probably wiped out like twenty times because I did the same shit, right? But my brain is like intaking that. So by the 21st time, I'm like, oh, okay. My, there's almost this like instinct of the memory, right? Mm-hmm. Using it as a tool in that moment. That instinct is like, maybe I turn away, right? And so now I won't nosedive or I mm-hmm. switch my shift on the board. There becomes this like instinct of even how we pop up, right? And how we start to instinctually move on the board on the wave. So then there's a level of intuition that I think can start to be tapped into, which can start to happen as we're analyzing the waves, mm. and what's out there. Mm. So I think that does also come in with data building, but with a more conscious level, mm. right? Because I think we can start to see like just these subtleties in what we're analyzing, but it takes a lot of time to acquire that level of ability to analyze. Mm.
1: So are you thinking like instinct comes from a place of fear and intuition mm. comes from a place of expansion? Or knowledge, or knowledge. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to put it with also the instinct of being fear. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what's, that's a very, yeah, that's a very interesting thought on it. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think in that moment, even though we're like about to potentially have like the best wave of our life, or even just a great wave, right? There's this level of just undertone of fear. Because if you don't, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But that's almost like a, a drug, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. But coming from a more place of, I think, knowledge um, is where we have that intuition. And I think you can look at it even more deeply, right? Like some, some cultures have generational knowledge of ocean, right? And I think that can also play a part more than we realize as well with that more intuitive space. But the instinct, I think, is that like hunter kind of mentality is like from a fear state absolutely yeah
1: yeah yeah. i agree with the instinct bit and then i guess just because of the yoga tr- philosophy training like when i look at intuition i look at it as so we learned about the koshas in, in mm-hmm. training i look at it um as something that comes from that vinyana maya kosha layer which is that wisdom sheath And so I agree in the sense that intuition taps into knowledge, but I think it's like a knowledge that we all share when we set the mind down. It's like a truth and understanding of this existence of this reality that we all share when we're not weighing out the pros and cons, when we're not um, data mining. And it's just like this deep inner knowing Hmm. and, um, For me, I really only tapped, started tapping into that intuition once I was pregnant. Oh, interesting. And um, because I felt connected to something greater than myself, Mm. which was this little being and then the ocean and how the ocean would affect this little being. (laughs) And I think that line between instinct and intuition started to become really clear for me of like when I was moving from a place of fear and when it. I was moving from a place of like inner knowing of like, oh, okay, I know that today's a session I should just sit out on because I feel it in my heart space. It's not up here thinking like, oh my god, what if I kill my firstborn <laughs> or whatever. It's from here of like a, not today, and it's a, a stance,
0: it almost something that you can't necessarily explain either, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's the Water People podcast with Dave Rosovich and Lauren Hill, who I absolutely love. But they brought it up where it's like sometimes when you're out there, you just you're looking at a wave and you know it's gonna be yours. Yeah, and you don't know why, but you're like that's
1: yes, exactly. that this is the one. Exactly.
0: Okay, I totally I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, 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 and I think you're right, spot on with the fear, and I haven't really thought about it that way because in this podcast I've been really interested in and in, and looking more deeply at fear mm-hmm. as surfers because I think there's so much growth in it. Truly though, um because we're finding that we're really looking at ourselves it's like a reflection at ourselves in a darker space (laughs) but we have to be going out at pb when it's a little bigger than we're expecting and and with with caution right we can't overdo it but it's you say this in yoga all the time but it's kind of like push your edge right like the moment you start to like you know wobble fall out like that's a good thing You have to almost wipe out a little bit Mm -hmm. get beat up a little bit in order to find that line and tap into the fear space and become a little bit more intimate with the fear. Um, But, yeah, I haven't really actually thought about it from more of the um, from that space of growth and expansion as well from that um, intuition. I've kind of that's kind of a more new thought for me. So thank you. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, one of the most transformative um, – not to say that fear and instinct isn't transformative, right? I think instinct and intuition both serve their places, and they're both very important in our in our transformation and our journey. Because for me, the most transformative surf trip I ever had was I, I spent three weeks in El Salvador, and I woke up every single day. First of all, there wasn't a single day smaller than six foot. It was uh, six to 15 foot the entire time I was there. <laughs> and it was all barrels, all barrels fucking barrels which not my favorite wave not my favorite wave style um and my friend chris v always drags me to travel surf with him and he's like a sick barrel hunter and i'm like i always find myself on the shoulder like why do i always agree to travel with him but anyways i woke up every single morning of that trip before sunrise shaking yeah with fear shaking i would be like oh my god oh my god we're doing this again we're doing this again and i came back a transformed surfer. A transformed shortboarder because mm-hmm. I only shortboarded there. And um yeah, it was really potent and really powerful for me that I visited that fear space and overcame it every single day for like 21 days.
0: What about that feeling when you're waking up shaking with like that fear that's just almost consuming, but that like you're still getting yourself out in the water? Like what what is that? <laughs> Because I have it, too.
1: I think it's addiction. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Um, No, I think it is a... Okay. I think it's a mix. I think it is um, the ego striving to succeed. The ego striving to achieve. And I think it's also a deep inner knowing that change is hard. Mm. And if we want to take things to a higher level, we have to cross those, those, um, those lines. We have to, we can't always say this is scary, so I'm not gonna, um, and it goes beyond surfing. So I do think there are, as always, two layers to it there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a level that, you know, you could be a fair weathered surfer and that's beautiful. That is how you want to surf. Um, but with life just outside of surfing, but surfing included, like you can always choose to live in the comfort zone, you know? And I think with that though, comes the reality that nothing will change.
1: Yeah. I honestly kind of envy those folks. (laughs) Really? I do. I do. Because it's just not in my nature. But when I meet, come across those surfers that are like, I'm just comfortable surfing three to four. That's what I want to do. I, there's a part of me that initially judges them, like, (laughs) and then there's a second part of me that goes, damn, that must be nice. Yeah. That must be nice. Because when I check the report and it says six to eight foot, I have two simultaneous reactions. Fuck. And yes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, I'm starting to, like, I almost, like, I'm sitting there and, like, what music I'm putting on, I'm trying to, like, get in the zone because I'm, like, whew. Because there's this feeling, like, you know you're about to embark on the unknown. Yeah. Because you're about to come face face with something that you have no control over anymore Ah! yeah but like Ah! with that lack of just like you're just releasing the death grip of control right but then you're going to come face to face with (laughs) things that are going to come up that are going to kind of show a lot out of yourself right and I think for me something I struggle with in bigger waves is actually my mind can get really involved. Um, so much that I almost feel like I get stuck. Like I just can't even commit to paddling in. Like I get so consumed by it. And so it's actually been a practice for me with the bigger waves. of just like being in it, just being in it. And being able to just kind of like fathom that I can even eventually do it. And I think for me, it's a fe- fear of failure more than anything. Uh, because there's a fear of failure to feel if is actually getting really hurt <laughs> so there's an honest fear of that but I um I just yeah I don't also want to look like a kook there's a absolute ego to it at times and um especially here in southern California with the crowds like you if you think about it when we're paddling out that first wave's kind of important to set the standard of what you who you are in the water yeah so it's like you know (laughs) but then the stakes are higher like you can also hurt someone else on bigger days and so there's just there's many 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 parts to the fear that gets involved with bigger waves that you're right there's levels like man three to four (laughs) being comfortable and content with that that does sound beautiful
1: yeah i know yeah it's interesting i actually just talked about this in the class i taught last night how um says tapas which Mm. um means like Discipline. Discipline, austerity, inner fire um, is like a way of creating suffering for ourselves so that life doesn't create suffering for us. Yeah. And, I mean, according to at least yogic tradition and um, the tradition of Hinduism, like we have a certain amount of karma that we need to burn through. So why not choose that karma for ourselves? And I do truly feel that paddling out on a big day and going for it burns through karma because there's so much suffering involved and you're like yeah. choosing it. You're like, I'm going to hold my breath for this amount of time. I'm going to eat shit this many yeah. times. Ego death here. Like, and it's just, you're choosing that you're cho- It's top bus. It takes a lot of willpower to move forward. Yeah. It's,
0: it's almost like relinquishing control, but keeping the control and the choice. You're yeah. like, I'm choosing to let go. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, how beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's, it's something that I think I will always crave, Yeah, I mean, and I just know that deeply. Yeah. But
1: Yeah, it's, and also it's interesting to speak on the point where you said that Yeah, um, it's like a fear of failing in front of others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was the exact words, but I think that also is why it feels so good to surf at the same spot all the time because when we have our little crew – And there is that crew out at South Garbage when it's, like, a little bigger out. And we're wooing out there and (laughs) calling each other into waves. Like, we know each other's skill level. So if you do eat shit, and I just said, yeah, go, Christine, you got it. There's no part of me that goes, like, ah, Christine sucks. I think she went for it. Yeah. Hell, yeah. And so it's, like creating that um, that's where the benefit of like creating those dynamics between other surfers and other humans comes in because you feel settled in that dynamic and you think okay because of my community because of the support I can move forward without fear of being judged
0: absolutely I mean community is a huge part of it but I think what's interesting you just pointed out is I also think like rewiring our mindset of how we look at it right because I think when what you just said is like oh she if she wiped out like she went for it. Can we even say that about ourselves when that happens, right? Like, rewiring it, I think, has to start from a place within ourselves, like, when we do it, (laughs) that we're looking at it like, I went for it. And, like, maybe there's going to be people around me that think I'm a kook, but, like, that's fine.
1: She charges. That's, yeah, exactly. Dirty but- Dan always <laughs> says that about me. He's like, she charges. Yeah. Like, he doesn't say she shreds, but she charges. I'm like, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take you don't know what's happening inside when I do that, but I'll take it. Right? No, no that's too funny. <laughs> You're like, charge.
0: Okay, well, I don't know what you meant, but we're going to take it as the positive. Again, mindset. <laughs> but, um, no, I think that that's a huge layer, and um, community is big. And I think what's beautiful is how much you've been a huge influential part, I think within the community that you've been creating here in OB, like it's astounding to see it. I haven't really ever experienced anything like it. Um, And this is outside of surfing. Technically this is um, with reunify the studio, but I think we can get really in these spaces of isolation in our society. um, Especially in the Western society where we are like supposed to just do it all on our own. And I, it's, It's just, it's, it's, I mean, not impossible, but gosh, is it hard if you were to do it all alone, right? Like get the job, do the things, everything, and just all on our own. And like, we're succeeding if we're doing it alone. And what I think we start to realize is when we have that level of connection and community, you can even see it in a surf break. But when you, your leash breaks, it, what happens when that community steps in, even if it's like this just temporary community of just that day, that session, that community out there, but even a community that has a little bit more kind of depth to it, that, gosh, like that helps lift you up and helps you grow even more. I honestly attribute my growth over the last couple of years at the cliffs because of that community who's like, believes in me more than I do sometimes. And they're like, go Christine. And I'm like, "Fuck!" they just called me in. I gotta go. And then I realized in that moment I can do it because I went for it and I did it. Not always, but you know, and that's where like the uplifting of the community becomes such a vital aspect of just our human experience. And I think our experience is surfing. Um, right? Even when we're learning, how much of it is when we're observing, right? Like observation's huge. I mean, I'm sure surfing would be, you know, you could learn on your own, but observation's huge. We, we learn from Mm -hmm. others. And so community I think is, is, is a massive point in our surfing actually.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel as you know, very strongly about community because uh, the word yoga means union. uh, And I think we're supposed to feel that sense of interconnectedness with others, and there are two ways to do it, right? You can go off into the Himalayan mountains and like dive deep within yourself in total solitude and awaken to the interconnectedness that all that is. Like That's a very traditional way of doing it, but I also think uh, participating actively in community through service, uh, through holding space for others and having space held is a way to – make that union very tangible and, and very real. And I felt it deeply uh, when I was just in the, in postpartum. I had a unexpected um, birth and an unexpected uh, stay in the NICU with my babe, and I was broken. I was really broken, and my community took care of me. Everyone knew and understood that I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I had meals for a month. Mm-hmm. I didn't lift a finger to cook for a month. Because of this community that I had poured my heart and soul into, knowing that this structure, this web of interconnectedness provides. yeah, You know, I knew that. I wasn't necessarily receiving every day from it, but at the time I needed it most, there I was, like, free-falling into it. Because I couldn't show up. I couldn't give, but I was in a space of receiving. And, boy, was I receiving. And so... Yeah, I think this interplay of giving and receiving, of union, of yoga, of oneness, uh, is very much so displayed through community.
0: Yeah, and that I think is testament to like, I think it would be foolish to ever think that you could just—you're never not going to be broken or in need of help. Yeah, there's always going to be a point in your life that you need, you need help, even when you think about it from the concepts of like how we go about our, our entire day, like even using a road. And a co- like people have helped create everything around us in a lot of ways. And um, we're it's it's this constant reciprocity, right? Being able to kind of give and receive and it can be very humbling. Um, I can just only imagine what you had gone through. But I'm so happy that you have that community and you still do. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And now I'm back teaching and it feels so good.
0: I Yeah. What has that been like be just months. stepping back?
1: Amazing. I do feel like a compl- I feel like I'm on a crazy acid trip, but because um, I feel like I'm a different person, but in the same spaces, that is weird. That's really weird to revisit the spaces I was in before birth and now show up back to them. Um, but uh, it feels really good because I see a lot of the same faces, and I think, whoa, there is a strong foundation um, mm-hmm. to reunify and to my family, and I'm just coming back and being held. Uh, by those same arms. And it's just like such a clear, um, energetic back and forth. Even if I'm teaching for the full hour, it's like those same students that like feed my teaching and inspire it. Yeah.
0: That's really, yeah, that's really neat. And, and also very interesting. Cause I think, do you feel like you're almost like looking in on yourself from feeling so different or do you just feel just, it's kind of almost like the intuitive, like I just am different and realizing it, like having that conscious ability to see it that way.
1: Just the experience I'm speaking from. Yeah. Because I've experienced a whole new level of trauma, for a lack of better better word, yeah. and uh, transition into motherhood. And so uh, just the place that I'm speaking from is a different uh, place when I'm speaking from personhood. So that that feels very different.
0: Yeah. yeah. And kind of switching gears and ending here, um, there's loads of different things. Obviously, now you're in postpartum, you're a mother. Um, what is inspiring you right now?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: is that even the thought?
1: What is inspiring me right now? You
0: can't even go into a specific. We can even go no. specifically in the ocean or no. just in general. I love, it. I
1: love it. Yeah, The mundane is inspiring me right mm. now. The mundane, going back to uh, the basics, I really enjoy brushing my teeth. I really enjoy taking a shower. I really enjoy having 15 minutes to bike down, hop in the ocean, and bike back home. I really am inspired by autonomy, having a second, like right now, this whole hour, like I'm not holding my baby, not breastfeeding my baby. So that's what's inspiring me is returning to these very basic activities with a whole new level of gratitude for them And a whole new level of appreciation because there were lots of days where I didn't brush my teeth or shower because I was so, such a hot mess. And there were lots of days I didn't see the ocean. And now I'm just coming back to them almost like I had a a near-death experience, which honestly, who's ever given natural birth? You know what I'm talking about. Um, And returning to them with utter awe, returning to all of these basic activities with utter awe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, you did experience a death of the self in many ways. But yeah, I think anytime you've, if you've traveled in certain situations, you've gone backpacking, anytime you've not had the luxuries of certain things of just, like you're saying, time to yourself, or a shower, or brushing your teeth, it's interesting how we can have such an appreciation. It's almost like you're far more present. Like By being depleted of those things, you start to see them a lot more clearly. And therefore that gratitude and that ability to be present and them, you are just like, oh my God, like brushing your teeth is amazing. Like my teeth feel so clean. Like just that that small thing and that's that's actually quite beautiful.
1: It makes joy a lot more accessible, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, the simplicity of my life right now has actually led to a lot more joy than I've experienced in a few years.
0: Yeah, and I think it's um I can see that from a s- the space of how chaotic sometimes our society can make things, especially in San Diego and SoCal and places of cities um, and having that ability to bring it back to the simplicity and the basics. And you can just kind of move from that space. It actually feel like it's a lot more intuitive. So, um, well, I'm looking so forward to seeing what motherhood continues to be like for you. And um, as always, you're just such an inspiration in my life and, I just can't wait to surf with you too soon.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Winter's
0: coming, but fall's here. So fall's now. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about now, but um but yeah, no, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that, but thank you so much for being here today and just sharing your experience, your stories and your words.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Saltwater Stories, hosted by me, Christine Kent. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and like, follow, and or subscribe to wherever you're listening in today. If you think there are saltwater stories out there worth sharing on this podcast that I've yet to explore, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on my Instagram at the saltwater stories.